Sun was out, the sun was out. Sun was out, the sun was out. Sun was out, the sun was out. Yeah. It's gonna go a little bit like this. Check Falling in love with myself. Too many times I said hate. Too many times that I dwell. People said that I fail. People said that I melt. Fuck. Falling in love with my glow. Even when I'm in my low. Even though niggas stay broke. Even if niggas don't blow. I was still shining my glow. Bro. Thinking I live in my Welcome, welcome back to the Simply King Podcast. This is your boy Rodney Perry King himself and this today is a actual, very historical, monumental uh, episode. Um, I think I've had, you know, I try to keep it as diverse as I could from the, you know, when it comes to my guests and the topics that I talk about. But I've been joined by a friend of mine named Bradley Dietrich. Did I say your name right? Dietrich. Dietrich. <laughs> The German gotta, undertones. Got to put together yeah, the, <laughs> the German undertones. You know what I'm saying? But um, yes, yes, and he is definitely you know graced as one of my first like non-black guests. And I've had non-black guests before, but I feel like this is to the whole other extreme. So you can imagine what we're gonna talk about today <laughs> in the world today. How you doing, bro? Doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm glad we uh we made this time and. I'm gonna tell you guys exactly what made me even think to do this and have him on, because uh, I can tell you know, time me and Bradley met, we was uh, he had certain questions about just certain things, and he seen that I was very open to answer these questions, and um, and I was like, bro, hold up, I got a podcast, let's get this on wax, let's put this record this conversation, let's record whatever you want to see and ask about what's really going on in the world because you have a a genuine interest. And I think that's the big difference from when people say, uh, do you know the whole argument of appropriation, the whole argument of what's true, cultural exchange, all those different things. I feel like, damn, he just saying this because he just want to know. Like he just curious about you know a culture or a people or whatever. And I'm like, he's genuinely just interested. Yeah. No malice or some type of motive behind this. Like I just want to know. Just like. Going to a new place and learning a new thing, you just want to gain more knowledge about something, especially if you want to interact more and be around those types of things. So I applaud you for sure, for sure. I think it's a dope thing. I think it's a dope uh, thing that you, what do you think uh, kind of made you such a, I guess, so interested in how people are, I say. Yeah, I mean, so undergrad, double majored in legal studies and sociology. Mm-hmm. So pretty much everything that's going on in the world right now really fit into that. Yep. Just the understanding of how different groups work mm-hmm. and how they interact with one another, and especially from the legal side, just the standpoint of the law. I thought I was going to go to law school. It's what I was really interested in. And exactly. Things didn't go that way, but I still have that interest in it. Mm-hmm. And just that curiosity is something that I've always had. Um, and what really kind of set this all off is we were talking about my entire life, I have lived in an area that is probably 95 to 97% white people. Mm-hmm. So I don't get to see a lot of the other side. What I do get to see is through either reading or Mm -hmm. movies or popular culture. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately with our society right now, that's how they can skew that however they want. The media can skew it, movies, anything. And um, so I think getting a firsthand perspective from somebody else is extremely important, not just for me, 
but for our society in general. A lot of people don't want to have that conversation like what you were mentioning before. They don't. People just want to yell at you and say what they think they know, but they might not know. And so I think getting that other side out there into the world so people can hear it is extremely important. That's very true. And I think um, why I feel like this was even more, like even more important than me and you, is because I feel that when it comes to this uh, sense of like stereotype, I feel that me and you make up a very great prototype or uh, <laughs> representation yeah. of what I feel like each and other side believes of the other. Yeah. I feel that, you know, you know, Chance has a song now, you know, no problems, you know, have some dread headed <laughs> niggas in the lobby, you know what I'm saying? And that is that is fearful for some people. Like they sitting here like, oh snap, I don't know what this means. Yeah. I am afraid. Oh my God, what are they gonna do? Yeah. And uh but just oppose that to a lot of people who haven't interacted, a lot of black people who haven't interacted with Caucasians and white folks in general, mm-hmm. literally just believe that they're all real bro <laughs> and just, you know, extremely privileged, silver spoon, everything. Mm-hmm. It's like just complete opposite, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's not like that. And that's, and this is not, uh, I want to just go ahead and put the disclaimer out. This is not uh, a test of showing how monolithic the two cultures are like all all black guys are definitely not like me trust me i'm one in a million and i believe the same about my brother bradley here and we're that's this is why the conversation is literally a personal person conversation the conversation that you may have with someone of another race ethnicity is going to be different than one we have because you guys come from two different places regardless even if it's uh bradley's neighbor or my neighbor from back in the day we would still, I can bet that we would still answer these questions or think about these certain things we're about to talk about in whole different ways. So, let's just dive right in. So, I told you I wanted you, you know, to think of a few questions because I wanted you really to, you know, to for us to really tap into this conversation. I told you, go as deep <laughs> as you feel because this, this is the type of podcast that I have. Mm-hmm. Do go go there because and I'm 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 letting the flood in. So. <laughs> so yeah, and I think really where this all started is kind of what, what's been going on. One of the first questions I asked you mm-hmm. is, have you ever walked in to a setting? Yes. Whether it be a movie theater, a restaurant, a store, uh-huh. and felt either that you didn't belong or that people were looking at you differently. Mm-hmm. Coming from my standpoint, I've never felt that, mm-hmm. which... I understand is a part of the whiteness that I am and how America views me. Yeah. I've never walked down the street, seen a cop, and worried, is he going to hop out of his car and try to pat me down or arrest me? Mm-hmm. So that's how I think kind of this conversation initially started, is just that genuine, genuine curiosity of your day-to-day life. And I mean, especially like at work, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um there's a certain look, a certain vibe that they give out. And so I was just kind of wondering what your standpoint is on all of that and just the different experiences that you've had uh-huh. inside of your own culture versus coming into somewhat maybe more of a, a white culture yes. and kind of the difference between those. Well, I believe that it's described the best from W.B. Du Bois where he says that, we, that African-Americans have a dual consciousness. 
and you can see that even with the the title of African American, you see what I'm saying? That it's almost a contradiction in a way, and um, because we didn't claim that name, it was like a name that was just thrown at us to label. And literally, we're living in this existence, and we didn't ask for this type of attention. We didn't ask for this type of scrutiny, hate, and all that. I definitely have been in spaces, and I told and I was I told you the story before, and I tell the people who are listening um, exactly what happened. And, I'm from uh, Jackson, Tennessee, um, which is in Western Tennessee, where most of black people are in Tennessee. And but there's still, of course, is always you know some very you know racial tension when you go to certain parts of most southern states and just most parts of southern states. So I was walking in just to, in brief, walking to a barbecue place. I really wanted barbecue uh, in a neighborhood that I just moved in. I was had to be around maybe like 12 or 13 years old. And my mom stopped the car, let me out, gave me some money. I went into this barbecue place because it said, you know, we got ribs. I wanted like a pulled pork sandwich or something. And as soon as I got into the to the like restaurant that looked like it doubled as like a storage thing, go figure. <laughs> and um, literally, like it felt like everything stopped. Like all I heard was like the music playing. And like everyone stopped what they were doing and immediately you noticed that oh damn i'm the only black dude in here and everybody like stopped drinking like literally slowly started to turn it felt like a movie looks like the counter is in the back i go to the counter in the back and i ask you know i'm looking for a menu something like with chalk or the printed menu out somewhere i don't see nothing so i ask for one and they tell me oh we didn't we didn't make no barbecue today <laughs> and i'm like i'm thinking to myself like outside it just said we got ribs on the sign why would you? Okay, I'm, I ain't even gonna try to combat this. I, I didn't even say bye. I just turned around, left, went home, made like a bologna sandwich or something. So I went home disappointed, but it's like that. Yeah. It's like that. And honestly, I think the interesting thing about America is that, you know, when it comes to this, the founding of America, every single ethnic group that has been a kind of the person who's been chastised or been a part of that chastised group. You have, you know, African-Americans uh, who were from slaves, just being niggers and Negroes, and now African-Americans, who are always seen as kind of like the bottom of the barrel because of their way of coming into this country as it was coming to become a, a country. Yeah. But you come from German descent. Take us back to the 1920s. Anybody walking around America who was... German was probably like, I bet you're a spy, and they was ready to like clap your ass. Like it wasn't none of that. Yeah. It was because it's because of the you know just the literal unrest and the battling of a superpower against another superpower. Yeah. And it's the same thing with the Japanese. The same thing with the Koreans. The same thing with almost every ethnic group has never had a great time entering into the United States. All of them, you know, have had the hardest of times. And the only thing that really you know kind of moves you past that is having you know of course a substantial amount of money yeah they won't they won't fuck with you they know you bring you bring your money here so, so do your thing so i guess that situation that you just described mm -hmm. if you encountered that identical situation today um how do you respond similarly different i would definitely respond a little different i think because i've uh my experience uh from then because i was like i said i was 13 my experience only got blacker mm -hmm. as <laughs> years after going to HBCU, learning more things, being around like some extraordinary people who I feel like have 
I feel like it's a great experience for everyone to experience because you see the world in a different way. Yeah. If you've only known, you know, white doctors and, you know, white professors and just white pro pro professionals at the highest point. Because you may know someone who's at like middle management or manager here and there, but someone who's literally reached the highest of highs, owning businesses, being CEOs. I feel that that's what you know my college experience exposed me to because they showed us these people, had them come to school to speak and yeah. give us their whole you know success stories, entrepreneurs who are making millions and billions of dollars, my professors who are millionaires. So it was like, damn, I love this. So what was the breakdown of your uh, university, like racial breakdown? Um, it was probably around like ninety-eight percent. Okay, like ninety-eight percent black because. Um, HBCU, which is not true of all HBCUs now. Okay. In certain parts, like there's HBCUs in West Virginia, in certain parts of, uh, I believe, I believe there's an HBCU in Connecticut or okay. somewhere on the East Coast where it's essentially flipped. Like it's That's more true. so like 90% white now okay. because of uh, kind of pressure to diversify, to get that state funding, um, as well as just um, because of what wouldn't come to West Virginia school. It had something to do with like the GI Bill and a lot of people who came yeah. back to school keep coming and kept coming just from, you know, legacy and alumni. My, my grandfather went here, so I'm going to go here. Yeah. Regardless of the, you know, the establishment of the school, that's what it became. Okay. Um, so it was, mine's very black and it's in Atlanta, which is kind of like the chocolate city of now. <laughs> and um, so it was a very, very black four years. I just, uh, I put myself through. And um, so I feel like now I have a... Uh, a more sense of pride, a different level of consciousness, yeah. but also I feel that also have empathy for the ignorance, mm -hmm. and um, not a load of it, mm -hmm. very very you know small amount because it's like you you just don't know, yeah. or you're you're acting this way because of what you may have seen, yeah. you're acting this way because you feel like this is where you have to act, mm -hmm. and I think that's a lot of what's going on in the world when it comes to just social interaction. Like you treat me this way because this is where you think you should. Yeah. Or this way you just assume that you should or instead of just treating me like a person or, and expecting the same thing back you kind of automatically like well I don't want to know this man he has locks so I don't want to <laughs> think that he smokes weed I don't want to think that he's like Caribbean but all the people that I know who have all the people I've met yeah. are that way so I don't want to be an ass and yeah. like assume that but you have a lot of people who just all off the bat assume like, oh, where are you from? Oh, yeah. I'm from Tennessee. Oh, <laughs> did you get like, did you start there? You know, I get yeah. those types of questions. But that's that's what I feel. So like. now is Chicago the first time that you've lived in the North? Um, yes, Chicago is the first time I've lived okay. in, uh, outside of the South for sure. Okay. Now, what are the kind of the preconceived notions that the people in the South, I guess, either white or black, mm -hmm. have of the North? Now, why I ask that is because I've been to the South a couple times, but I mean, really stereotypical, like white people, suburbs of Atlanta, <laughs> resort towns in Florida. Of so, course. Like, I've never like truly experienced it, but you still always just hear like, oh, they're lazy, they're slow. Mm -hmm. It's just such a different way of life. And I'm sure part of that is true. Some of it comes from somewhere, mm -hmm. but obviously that's not true of everything. Of course. So I'm just curious, the flip side what they say what they say about us um definitely a more fast paced kind of like I guess always feel the need to get somewhere because I feel that's, it's a difference and I feel like that comes from kind of like just how the city moves yeah like everyone is so fast paced mm -hmm. it's because public transportation because of there actually are, you have to get to places 
before a certain time <laughs> because of traffic and other things. So people are a little bit more faster to move while in the south. Mm-hmm. You can like you know when traffic's gonna pick up. It's yeah. gonna pick up at the same time it did yesterday. And also we don't use public transportation. A lot of people have a lot more simpler jobs and things like that. Um, just real simple. So, but what I think, what they hear, what, they, what I've always heard throughout my life is uh, people from the North definitely don't understand the South. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. Yeah. Um, they're extremely different. They're not hospitable, yeah. um, not mannerable, uh, rude even. Um, they really don't have any, I guess they're, if you're talking about like ignorance, because there's ignorance in the South when it comes to just, you know, racial history. Yeah. But they are seem as to be more tolerable. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's, you know, people who battle that. I feel like there's two, that's two whole conversations. The North has just seemed to be more tolerable because it's throughout history. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who fought, fought, fought against and all that. Then you have people who believe, yeah, you know, well, yeah, but they still own slaves too. Yeah. So you can say you don't like it, but you were still telling the motherfucker to go make that sandwich. So, just how it is. But for the most part, it's really the biggest thing across the board is that um, not being hospitable. Mm-hmm. And I think it just, you know, goes hand in hand with Southern hospitality and people being so, you know, welcoming and nice and yeah. shit like that. And um, I think that's some, like, slightly true mm-hmm. from, you know, just from being here. Um, because in the South, they... You know, you say hey to your neighbors, regardless if you know them or not. Yeah. And um, I feel like there's more of a, and it may be because of in a lot of southern, a lot of northern places, there's more. Look, I want to say a little bit more crime, but they're known to have more crime in these metropolitan areas. Yeah. So people are a little bit more like, I ain't about to just speak to random people because I don't want to welcome them to rob me or yeah. I want to put myself in those situations. So people are a little bit more discreet mm-hmm. on how they interact with each other. And um, people in the south are not. Yeah. Well, and that's like what's interesting is. For I'm originally from Wisconsin, a couple mm-hmm. hours north of Milwaukee, and you think of the North as this like welcoming, accepting, mm-hmm. whatever, where over racism is not in existence or whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. it obviously still exists, but then you look at a place like Milwaukee, which is one of the most racially segregated mm-hmm. cities in the country. Yeah. And if America is one of the most segregated countries in the world, I mean, yeah. you're looking at the epicenter, epicenter, right there. And so it's just interesting that something two hours from where I grew up is like that. Yeah. And even when we'd go down to Milwaukee, they would always say, stay away from the numbers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're going to get robbed. You're going to get shot. You're going to get all this stuff. Uh And that's just like common, not knowledge, but that's just what people are are saying. Mm -hmm. You can easily walk through most of that area and you're going to be okay, but that's just what they're telling you. Yeah. And when you're growing up with that, that's what gets ingra- kind of ingrained in your mind is that this is a dangerous area. I don't want to go there. And then you start associating it with the people that inhabit that area. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what really kind of exacerbates the problem that we have. For sure. Is just the th- that thought that is kind of put into our heads growing up. And I feel like you have situations within, you know, popular culture now that disproves that. Yeah. And, um, for example, one guy I really love, Anthony Bourdain, mm-hmm. right? Anyone who doesn't know who Anthony Bourdain is, he chef who essentially became like a world traveler. He goes on these very, you know, documentary type of, you know, you know, 
I guess uh, pilgrimages through all these different places. And he has a show called Unknown Parts that uh, airs on CNN. It's not a plug. I'm not, you know. <laughs> but um, what I love about it is because he goes to these places that people don't want to go to. Yep. People that are unlike not the favorable hot spots. They are not vacation places because he wants to, you know, kind of bring down these stereotypes, figure out exactly what's going on. Like he's going to Cuba. He's going to, he went to Chicago. Like he was talking to rappers. He was going to all different types of places. He went to the Bronx. He went to all these Detroit um, and also a lot of different, you know, international countries that are, he even went to Iran. Really? And the first thing that he found out in Iran is like, people are so damn like happy. Mm-hmm. Like people was like smiling and waving <laughs> at him and shit. And it was like, damn, he was yeah. like, I'm not telling him to do this. They, they are really welcoming. And this yeah. is not what you expect. Not at all. And I think the crazy part about it, when, especially when it comes to like black and brown people, mm-hmm. is that we're both told this and everyone else is told the same thing. So no matter who you are, you're told not to go to certain places. No matter if you're black, white, whoever, whoever's, and I feel like that's really uh, harmful for a, a people to not only have that thrown out into the universe and into the world, but also for people with the same complexion to say the same thing. Yeah. Like it almost makes you see things differently. Like, yeah. oh damn, so I can't go here, I can't go there. That was definitely what they told me. Really? Is before I moved up here, they was like, oh, be careful, you know, <laughs> Chicago and. Make sure you don't go through the hundreds and such and such and this and that. And I was like, damn, that's a lot of the city I can't even go to. Yeah. That's that's not, and I find it funny that everyone is just, you know, that's just how it is. Yeah. I see it as real fucked up. Yeah. Because it's like, this. I shouldn't feel like I should have to go to a place. Yeah. You know, like, why... Like, it's just, that's just not right. And, like, what does it say about the people that inhabit that area? Exactly. Exactly. It's like, now you're saying people who call this place home, mm-hmm. that your place is a no-fly zone. Yeah. It's a no-go-to, restricted area, don't come around here unless you're from here type of place. Yeah. And I think from so many different things and just, you know, perpetuation of that through the people with inside it, a few people with inside those communities, is what makes it extremely hard for those places to kind of like come out of yeah yeah but and then kind of going along those lines mm-hmm. one thing that was interesting in college i had a professor um african-american sociology professor mm-hmm. day one he shows up baggy oversized white shirt sagging his pants sneakers on and everyone is kind of like what in shock yeah mm-hmm. and it was really fascinating that he says he dresses that way to disprove the stereotype. Guy has a PhD in sociology. Right. But he says he wants to make people feel uncomfortable when they see him, especially yeah. in Madison, Wisconsin, where I went to school. Mm-hmm. Very white. Yeah. Um, everyone pretty much looks a certain way. Yeah. So you see this guy walking around campus looking like that. Everyone's like, wait a second. Yeah. And again, he's got a PhD. And he had a fascinating story. He came from LA. His brother been locked up for like 25 years he says they share a bunk bed as kids and they just happen to go different ways so i guess what is your opinion on kind of fitting in this mold you kind of touched on it before fitting in this mold of this expectation of what you're supposed to look like or how you're supposed to act and if you don't act that way Uh people kind of push you aside or say that you're not conforming to their expectations um I think with the, when it comes to just like black culture, I feel like it's really sensitive. Mm-hmm. Like the black aesthetic is one that I feel like is forever gonna be a discussion. Mm-hmm. Because 
you have so many diverse views on that. Yeah. You know, I the way I present myself is for several reasons. Uh, because I, I want to be this way, I want to look this way, as well as uh, you do get a, it's a great screening process for people. For me to have locks, it's like I get a reaction from every type of person. <laughs> so no matter what your background is, because there's a lot of, you know, bl black people who don't know shit about locks. Yeah. All they know is is what they you know have heard yeah. all they know is Bob Marley and shit like that so it's like you either thrown in with rappers or you're thrown in <laughs> with weed or you're thrown in now just now um, you're thrown in with you know being vegan and very spiritual yeah, and natural yeah. and hippie and all that and I love that for that reason yeah. because now I have all these different connotations that goes with something that I'm not even asking for mm -hmm. but that's cool and that's why I feel like Having locks is more than a hairstyle, but a lifestyle because you're accepting that, and now you're gonna have to combat that, mm -hmm. or accept that. Like if you have them, True. and that's you, that's that's you though. That's yeah. one specific person that just so happens just to fit the bill that you assumed about him. Yeah. But you can't throw that assumption on every single person. But I feel like also you just oppose that with the rest of me and the rest of me, I feel like my identity. I like to dress up. Yeah. I like you know putting on blades and putting on suits and putting on a tie but you have people who believe that oh this is dressing white this yeah. is dressing like you know the oppressors this is dressing you know very conformist like mm -hmm. like you're trying to like fit in and get along and get around and play the game yeah actually I, I just like the way the shit I like to dress up <laughs> yeah now it's not it's no it's no deeper than that yeah. you know but the that's the assumption that you yeah. have from I feel like both sides. Yeah. I feel that you do have the assumption from I feel like Caucasian Americans who European Americans who believe oh this guy may be a little bit more uh, straight and narrow. He probably mm -hmm. won't rob me. He's probably he probably went to a great school because he he dresses well mm -hmm. because he dresses well. And you have just opposed that to, you know on the black side you have people who believe oh you're trying to do better for yourself because you're not dressing like no thug. Yeah. And you got others who be like oh bro you a sucker. So it's so many different things when it comes to the black aesthetic. And I feel like, and then you have black people who chastise me for having locks, but yet wanting to be a businessman. Yeah. It's like, oh, you ain't gonna never get to nowhere with that. Mm -hmm. Or like, people are not gonna feel like you're uh, able to do your job because of that. Yeah. Like just because of that. And, or they'll say, oh, it's just hair, you can cut it. <laughs> I was like, if it's just hair, why does it matter that much? Yeah. That's the same thing I throw back. So it's like, if everyone feels some type of way about my head, I love just kind of like tearing down all those different stereotypes. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And showing you that people who are business people, people who can be entrepreneurs, people who can have more out of life and be ambitious and just be great individuals yeah. can look different. Yeah. There's not a look for that. There's not a look for someone who wants to be successful and ambitious. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to essentially change. Yeah. Now growing up, was there any pressure put on you to either dress a certain way, act a certain way, look a certain way, either by family or just your community or any other organizations that you were a part of growing up? Um, I think um, for my mom, I think my mom really didn't pressure me. Mm. I think my mom just wanted me to, you know, kind of put my best foot forward type of thing and just, you know, try my best in school, do well, because she just really wanted me to experience more. Like she, she you know, she felt that the cause and effect of 
exposure mm -hmm. was that you being a great student mm -hmm. like because you you being a great student is going to open up more opportunities mm -hmm. you having this great gpa or getting involved in certain things means you're going to travel means you're going to experience things that i may have not experienced or whatever that is so just do well yeah put your best foot forward and be you yeah um i a lot of the things that made me me was because of choices that i made yeah. i worked at a soup store at 17 years old you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. not like my mom forced me to work yeah. there. It's not like somebody pushed me to be there because they knew that I had a sense of style. They knew I liked to, to do those types of things. So yeah. I feel that early on, I developed my own personality. Mm -hmm. I chose to have locks in the 10th grade yeah. and grow those out and have all those different connotations and, you know, and just learn more about myself and build that type of connection with myself. And so I feel like there is really no pressures that I brought in because mm -hmm. I felt like I wasn't receptive to those type of things yeah. specifically me um, I think and I think you know when you from the south I feel like it's really all about just you know I think there's people a lot of people who are in southern places that don't have high expectations in life anyway yeah. and it's sad yeah. but it's the truth yeah. it's like if I just honestly did well in school maybe did well in sports kind of went to a, you know, a, a cool little local school, a school that's not too far, or went to, or went straight technical. Yeah. And now I'm, you know, doing whatever I'm doing, I'm making money, I'm doing my thing. Nobody would be like, oh, he, damn, he ain't yeah. naked. Yeah. Or damn, he ain't doing right. They'll be like, oh, you doing something for yourself. Oh, you got a job. Yeah. You ain't got no kids yet. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. And nobody's really going to want you to shoot higher. Yeah. And that's the thing. And I feel like that's what made me stand out and different mm -hmm. and also uh, individual which kind of created my own identity. I, I did all the things I wanted to do because I wanted to do them. Yeah. So I feel like I didn't have a sense of, I guess, uh, ethnic identity mm -hmm. until, you know, almost, you know, right before I went to school. Yeah. And once I got there, it was kind of like the floodgates were open for yeah. sure. But I never had, I never really, what's crazy is being from the South, I really never really thought about it as much really? of like how to be perceived as a black man or thought about my just racial identity my racial location you know social location and all those different things i knew and i could see th certain things are wrong yeah i went history classes seeing oh this is this sounds kind of fucked up yeah. but I, but the thing about it is when you don't know you don't know how to combat it yeah it's like and i don't want to sit here and argue with a teacher and i don't know how to find <laughs> the answers yeah to combat them with i didn't know the verbs i didn't know the words i didn't know where to even fucking start yeah and i think that's the biggest thing with a lot of people who I feel like because we're not taught these things at an early age, just about history and about just the good things about, you know, black yeah. history and just all those different things, we can live a whole life of really not knowing. Yeah. So I feel like, but that's why I feel like there's a resurgence of like the conscious community now. You know, I feel like the conscious community has always been around. There's always been people who are quote unquote conscious, but now it's everywhere. Yeah. There's definitely like a subculture of black, black people who are like extremely into just conscious shit, you know? Want to wear kente cloth and want to really get back into their ancestors, try to figure out where their people from, all those different things, and that's dope. Yeah. But uh, I feel like it's really became you know because of internet and things like that is what made people a lot easier. So even if you don't have the answers, you can just type in you know yeah. history and things <laughs> like that, and eventually you're gonna go through a little bullshit, but eventually get to something that connects with you, and you're gonna look deeper and deeper yeah. and deeper into that, and you'll find a piece of you. I feel yeah. like now kind of educating outside communities mm -hmm. on history, African-American history. Mm -hmm. I've always kind of been curious on 
like your opinion of a Black History Month, for mm-hmm. instance, where kind of two sides of it. Obviously, one side, it's important to get that message out. Of course. Um, and to inform people who might not otherwise be. Mm-hmm. But then on the other hand, you can look at it where it's like, why do we need a specific month just so people can maybe fake care about this topic? How do you feel about kind of getting that message out and specifically with something like that? I think um, just like, and it may be, you know, the things that we're fighting for and things that we're upset about, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, mm-hmm. may seem like, damn, why was they fighting for that? Because if they were living in today's days, they will understand that they were putting a lot of energy into something that, I guess, quote unquote, just didn't matter as much. Yeah. They couldn't put a lot more energy into something else. And I feel like that's what I feel about a lot of triumphs that have happened. Mm-hmm. I applaud them. I appreciate them. The people who did those things and fought for different rights in, um, within the civil rights area before then were intellectual and brave as fuck. But when it comes to like certain, certain people like Carter G. Woodson, kind of like fighting for the Black History Week and then eventually becoming a month. It was, I think it was more so, you're gonna you're gonna recognize us. You're gonna know that we're here. You're gonna know that we exist as people. Yeah. Because I feel like there was a sense of, you know, just ignorance and avoidance. Like we're not even gonna acknowledge these people, but we will take the images and put them in the mainstream media into where we want to put them in. Mm-hmm. We will take certain things that, you know, music and whatever, whatever else, and use it for however we want to for our own benefit. And I feel like that was a big part of it. I think there was not a sense of, you know, education. Carl G. Wilson was an educator. He believed and people under him were extremely smart because he believed in knowing yourself, knowing things about the now. You know, when it came to just miseducation, it was just all about education. So I feel like it's the it's honorable. And I think it's still relevant because you do need young black people to understand themselves and also what I remember just having a conversation with one of our co-workers because when uh, Black History Month happened this year she was just like why y'all get them if I want them up this and that <laughs> and like she just did it jokingly but I took that moment to like teach yeah. her something and tell her something or tell give her a new perspective I'm like you gotta think about it like this you know if you wanna take it back pretty far back we gonna end up being you know the same yeah like we gonna really end up being the same culture and also take this time out to actually look at where your people and what your ethnic background is, what your history was, get into your own history. You know, I'm not saying that, you know, Black History Month should be changed to like everybody's history month, but I'm saying within this time, if that's how you feel, you feel that deep about, you know, whatever your month should be, Mm -hmm. just get into your own. You don't gotta make a fuss about it. And if it's really that serious, fuck it, make a fuss about it. (laughs) But the thing about it is, I don't think it's needed. I think it's still, I think, it was some people were pushed for, but now a lot of contemporary thinkers are like, why should we regulate to a month? Because our history has happened throughout these years, and yeah. we have anniversaries for amazing things that have happened throughout the years, and we get the shortest damn month. <laughs> so it's like, it's a whole lot of shit. But for me, honestly, I believe that a lot of things people fought for back then were honorable, great. Yeah. But I guess uh, I think it's, it's honorable that they did it, but... Does it really hold any weight? Yeah. I think not. I think people have found a way to exploit it just like every other holiday. Yeah, I can see that. Mm -hmm. And then, like, going along with that, what's kind of interesting to me is the kind of focus on specific or certain African Americans. And the one thing that I can never understand is you see, like, certain 
just in our mainstream media today, certain rappers mm-hmm. or athletes that everybody can get behind. Mm-hmm. They can, regardless of who it is. Yeah. But then those same people who are praising these people for their work are the same ones who are saying black lives don't matter. Yeah. And I don't get that how they group. It's almost like these people aren't viewed as black because they're successful or something, which I don't fully get, but Mm -hmm. they want to see that, but then they want to say all African-Americans are lazy, they don't work, they're not educated, they don't care. And I don't understand how you can have the mindset of looking up to these people, but yet a culture that they're a part of putting them entirely down. Yeah. And I want to know kind of how you feel about that, whether these kind of people who are in our mainstream media mm-hmm. are a part of your culture mm-hmm. or if kind of once they become quote unquote successful whether they're part of this white culture or whatever it, it's really kind of a gray area in there and I just kind of wondering your thoughts on that um, well I believe you know uh, when you're rich that's a whole nother class of yourself mm-hmm. that's a whole nother I feel like that's a whole nother ethnic group yeah. on its own which is jumbled up with people coming from all different types of backgrounds because when you're rich you become out of touch regardless True. no matter who you are like you can be a white american who from wherever you're from there it's really they really hurting mm-hmm. and it's a whole you know group of white americans in the white neighborhood and they really fucked up right now yeah. but you're so removed from it, you don't care or realize it yeah. because you, you're into what you're into mm-hmm. and i feel like it's the same way when it comes to african-american celebrities um you have a lot of them who use their platforms to help and aid mm-hmm. you know but then you have others who Literally try to, you try to not get into it. It's like I made it out the hood. I don't want to kind of like, I don't want to worry about that. Like I'm living life. I'm having a good time. ASAP Rocky just got a lot of uh, flack on that because he's like, I, I don't want to sit here and have to always come and talk about you know Black Lives Matter and people dying. I'm fucking bitches right now. I'm, I'm, I'm wearing this you know jiggy jiggy clothes and shit. And, you know, and yeah, that's cool. That's dope. But it's kind of like the people, people who supported you. At the earliest of times, because yeah. that's usually how it is. Yeah. When you're underground, it's mostly you know a lot of black folks who like riding for you. Yeah. Mainstream means you crossed over, meaning everyone in the world knows about you. And now, majority of the people who are probably going to be buying your music are are European Americans. Yeah. The thing about that, uh, what I find funny when it comes to them loving it so much, but them still having those views, is. Uh, I forgot who said it, and I really need to figure out who said this, but I feel like it kind of like describes it the most. A lot of uh, African Americans are seen either in two ways, um, which are superhuman or subhuman. There's no in between. Yeah. So you're either, even though there's a there is a lot of in between, yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> there's a lot of in between. You're either yeah. literally Michael Jordan or someone who lives in the projects or a bum on the street. Yeah. One or the other. Yeah. That's how they view you. Like you're either someone who we really don't even care exists. Mm-hmm. We walk by every day, but still don't even give a damn about your existence. You might even speak to me every day. Don't even ask, but you don't got a sign. You're living in the streets, but you just see me going to work every day. You just say, hey, how you doing? Have a good day. Yeah. You're not strung out nothing. You're just homeless. Yeah. And that's all you do. You're sitting on the street. You, you, Try to just make somebody day just by saying, you know, trying to be positive because you want your situation to be better. That's maybe the reason why you're so positive to everyone else. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's real, real big reason of it. it's like people who are really big fans of rappers, but yet 
you know, quote unquote, only got one black friend and quote unquote, uh, say certain things that are, you know, extremely, you know, insensitive, uh, or just don't understand the shit. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's, this is how it is. That's just really how it is. And it's, it's genuinely because they view these people there. Well, that's two chains. <laughs> He's not the person dying in the street. He's not Michael Brown. He's not, the, but the thing about it, he is yeah. regardless of who you were. Mm-hmm. Oprah was pulled up on before. Oprah literally was like, almost, you know, like they thought she was stealing in a damn, you know, like high-end store yeah. because they didn't recognize her. Yeah. Because with all the makeup, without her, you know, people flocking around her, saying, you know, saying yeah. Oprah and all this shit, she looks just like a regular black woman. Yeah. Two chains. He looks like a million people in Atlanta. There's a million people who look like two chains in Atlanta. So I can only imagine if he literally came out extra, and I you can't even just say it's the clothes yeah. and all those things. It's regular people who dress just like Two Chainz, dress just like Future, yeah. dress all like a lot of these rappers and people, because mm-hmm. that's the culture. That's why they dress that way. Yeah. They're not just trendsetters, but they're dressing how people in the streets dress. Yeah. Like everybody want to be on some like types of you know some really fly stuff. So they're just matching the community that they came from. Like they were probably dressed like that before they were rappers. Yeah. Especially the ones who was into the, you know, like the drug games and the underworld and who was actually living that life. Mm-hmm. They just still dressed how they dress it, buying yeah. the most expensive shit. Yeah. So I think it's funny, though, that, you know, you do have this large amount of support for these rappers and things like that. Honestly, I know for a fact that because I know there's definitely black people who don't always listen to the lyrics. Yeah. I know for a damn fact all the like large, large white consumers who buy a lot of hip hop. But damn sure ain't listening to music because yeah. if you listen to it, yeah. and especially people you love and like, you would not like them. Yeah, because they really may be talking specifically about someone you can relate to. Yeah, well, and that's the one thing that always kind of you hear too is like white people are saying, "Oh, those lyrics are terrible." Yeah, it's like, "Oh, they shouldn't be saying this." But I, I, I've always been interested in hip hop, and I've done. I read a, wrote a paper about the kind of the white appropriation of yeah. hip hop in undergrad and, thank you and it was like, <laughs> I mean just the the transition to like the Beastie Boys and Eminem and whether they were stealing the music or whether they were trying to get into it real fascinating but uh-huh. like the thing that I've never understood is music's all about what you know yeah. and what you experience yeah. and some of these rappers like that they're talking about shooting people doing yeah. drugs that but that's their life. Yeah. And especially coming from like my standpoint where I live in this little bubble mm-hmm. where that stuff doesn't happen mm-hmm. on a daily basis. So we don't understand it, but that I don't think it's people's right to say what's good and what's bad, what people should and should not say because yeah. that's what they grew up on and why shouldn't they share that with everybody else? And that's, and that's the art too. Yeah. I feel like that's the big part that people don't want to, you know, just stop looking at. I feel like it's definitely um, derogatory, and that's, you know you get pushback even from the black community to a lot of rappers. You know, especially you had like Naughty by Nature, what damn all went to the Supreme Court yeah. for shit they was putting out. You have you know different you know congressmen and city councils who was like banning you know different types of rap groups from you know being in places. N.W.A. for example, and I feel like the thing about it is for the people who love it, no matter who you are, people just love you know kind of like. A difference in lifestyle. Yeah. We're attracted to that shit. Yeah. Like that's why we love gangster movies. Godfather is one of the greatest damn movies ever because yeah. of that reason. Because it's like that ain't me, but this <laughs> shit dope. Like he killing people. They 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 living life on the edge. It's exciting and all that shit. So I feel like 
you have a suburban white kid who can listen to a Jay-Z and be like, damn, I love this shit because it's that contrast that you love the most. Yeah. If you have a Taylor Swift-ass, you know, <laughs> chick who literally, like, talking about, you know, wearing cowgirl boots and, like, chilling in the grass and, yeah. you know, riding around in a truck with a boyfriend, <laughs> you may have a lot of people who love that. And, I mean, mm-hmm. country music is definitely a big thing and pop is definitely a big thing, but what is the highest-selling music right yeah. now? I mean, not even to throw it shade. It's literally what it is. And there's people of all ethnicities who are part of this movement because KRS-One says this shit, and it's beautiful. You can't, you can't listen to hip hop. You can't be. You, you are hip hop. Mm-hmm. Hip hop is a thing. Hip hop is a thing that you are. Mm-hmm. And he said that at a convention of people who weren't even all black. <laughs> yeah. Like you, if if you are hip hop, you will know. Yeah. And. It's, it's, it's literally that's why people like Eminem can exist and not go under so much scrutiny mm-hmm. he goes under scrutiny because I think the idea of him can go under scrutiny because it's like oh you've won all these different Grammys and you've won over all these brilliant people that you even look up to yeah. and that's what's fucked up like that is what's fucked up there's nothing wrong with Eminem because he's honestly doing the same thing anyone else is doing yeah, yeah he can have derogatory things but he's talking about his reality which is the same thing that you know, a Jay-Z and a, even a, a even a future, whoever else is doing right now. Mm-hmm. Just because you don't like the way it sounds doesn't make it bad. Yeah, It's art. It's the way art is. Art is, you know, a reflection of life. And I feel like there's, you know, like rock and roll groups and all these different other types of things that have came throughout history that talk about the most obscene things. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You got motherfucking Osborne tearing off bets and shit like that like this shit is crazy you got you know different types of you know insane clown posse and slipknots talking about you know having devils and shit like that in their lyrics and it's like well I mean they're just you know being expressive and talking about you know they're just extremely artistic and into their shit you know but that is a culture there is a people that are gonna extremely relate to that and love that shit Mm -hmm. and that's just what they believe yeah and now I feel like just hip hop is just being shown as to be one of the most kind of like cross culturing type of thing. Yeah. But I feel like it's always been true with black music though. Really? Yeah. I feel like even before the time of hip hop, everyone was still you know rocking to some R and B, rocking to some soul, loving the OJs because like OJs and uh, James Brown, and all these people, they were still touring internationally. Yeah. You know, you can you can go. Even like even to the under unders, like the Muddy Waters. Yeah. Muddy Waters actually inspiring damn near half of the <laughs> most legendary, you know, yeah. British rock bands. You have go back to jazz. You have jazz musicians who couldn't play in the states. They went to France and London and all these different places and was getting all types of love. Yeah. So it's like I feel that there's a there's always been a sense of you know relationship between black people and Af- people from African descent, um, no matter if you're Caribbean or whatever you are with music that has been loved throughout mm-hmm. which is cool yeah it's not like we're cl- pointing some claim to it but if it's an art form that was created from us we don't tell you that you can't come into it mm-hmm. it's not I feel like it's not how the world works I yeah. feel like the way Indians like Native Americans are when it comes to our land and just the universe and the world like it's how black people are about music it's kind of like who am I to tell you that you don't live this type of reality so yeah. you can have white rappers who come in and it's the thing it's you have some who literally, you can tell that it's appropriation. It's yeah. like, you're really just taking this shit because this is not you. Yeah. You're just doing it because you know this will sell. 
whatever, whatever, whatever. I don't like I don't like that shit personally. Because yeah. I'd rather you be like an Eminem. Yeah. You know, more like a Macklemore. Yeah. Two who literally just doing your reality. You're just doing it from this know. voice yeah. of hip-hop. So that's what I feel like. Now, like, I mean, America's always viewed it as this melting pot. Yeah. And to some extent, it's so true. Yeah, soup too. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, it only is to an extent, mm-hmm. and we are still a very divided society. Obviously, white and African American get most of the attention in our mainstream media. For sure. Obviously, there's no real solution mm-hmm. as of right now. Otherwise, something would have been done to fix that. But moving forward, from your standpoint mm-hmm. in the African-American community, I mean, there's always been throughout the civil rights movement, everything, I mean, the decision whether to fight or peacefully or kind of everything like that. Obviously, education is a big part of that, but from just your experiences, how do you see us bridging the gap to form that truly melting pot society that we as Americans like to brag to the entire world about? Um, I think it's already happening in ways. Mm-hmm. Like, Honestly, I think it's funny how, you know, there's been a, a ongoing discussion for decades, since for like the 60s, even before then, where, you know, there's African Americans who talk about, who opposed uh, the idea of segregation, uh, who, who actually accepted the idea of segregation because they was like, let's be separate, so let's get us our own shit together. Yeah. And just, ha- just have our own types of unity because integration actually broke up a lot of the community. Yeah. That's why right after the civil rights movement it was kinda like falling, you know, off the edges a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. And um and with the resurgence of, you know, within the seventies and things like that, it kinda, you know, came about and some still some unity, you know, that black to African type of feel and just, you know, that Black Panther movement and a lot of like militant things happened, but yet it's still what happened was as soon as they told us we could be you know, a part of the rest of the world, I said, mm-hmm. and not separated. That's immediately what people did. They yeah. moved to white neighborhoods. They got into white businesses. They did all these different things. They got a part of the world instead of continuing their black business in their black neighborhood, mm-hmm. instead of doing all these different things. And I think now that you have the same ideal coming back even stronger, saying, you know, we need to build up our own black communities. We still, we still have all black communities yeah. that need to be built up. Let's build these communities up. Let's build these communities up. And you have a lot of people, you know, who believe, well, you guys are trying to separate and you're doing this and you're doing that. And I was like, you guys supported Koreatown. Yeah. You guys supported the <laughs> Chinatown in yeah. almost every major city. Very you true. support in Chicago specific. You support a little Italy. You support, you know, the yeah. Polish communities and, and Jewish communities. They all have their own communities. And majority of people who live there are a part of the same ethnic background and it's cool mm-hmm. because what have they done they've kept the community tight if some shit go down they can just send an email or have one meeting that shit is fixed there's a sense of pride and a sense of culture throughout and it's not like they're keeping you out yeah you can go there get some food actually exchange culture go to the markets go to all these different things and then just ingrain yourself into a culture for a day or for however long you're there yeah and take your ass back to wherever you are <laughs> It's not. It's not like I'm for people being separate. Yeah. Because I feel like you're gonna all. We, it's America now, so we're gonna have those suburban communities and those different places. And I feel like the metropolitan of Chicago specifically, you're gonna have a lot of different people there. Yeah. But there's nothing wrong with having those communities that are enriched with a lot of the same people, mm-hmm. where that's kind of like the epicenter, the cultural center, 
that people can always feel some type of refuge to. Because yeah. I feel like that's how you keep a great, great melting pot. But instead, if you like chastise people for want to create those things, mm-hmm. or you or you chastise people for you know feeling some type of way, then it's we're, we're working backwards. Yeah. So I feel like what would make everything better is for people to actually get these, have these conversations and actually go out and do something. Yeah. I feel that you know there's you know a really large discussion when it comes to just like white AIDS. You have black people who feel like white people need to get more involved into the black struggle. And you have black people who believe that they should just stay out of it. Mm-hmm. Because it's kind of like, it's cool. We good. Let's yeah. figure this shit out on our own. I think if anything, my own stance on it is support it. Mm-hmm. Like, if you want to really truly support it, understand what the biggest thing I feel like all like European Americans in today. Because white, y'all were thrown into this white bunch. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you have to, if anything, not want to say renounce the whiteness of you, but more so acknowledge, yes, white privilege is a thing. I'm not even from this country, but I'm perceived to be a white man. My family's not even from this country, but I'm perceived to be a white man. So immediately I get the benefits of the people who decades and decades ago may have had slaves even though I may not have because I feel like it's a large yeah. uh, you know opinion from a lot of people was like that wasn't me yeah. but that wasn't my ancestors we was all the way back in Italy We're doing all the thing benefiting but from you're still the, benefiting yeah. from 100%. a lot of you know early European Americans who who were part of those different things yeah. and it's not like we're telling you to pour money into things and do all these types of things but literally support the effort yeah. it's like hey I support that you guys doing that like being positive about it because we need more I feel like if anything more support because I feel like there's already been too much I feel like uh, I would say major quote unquote white involvement mm-hmm. even though it may have not all been white faces yeah. from the government from different organizations who have came into communities to do things and I feel like that's what definitely isn't needed mm-hmm. and I feel like that's what Africa for damn sure don't need it either yeah. in a lot of different third world countries I feel like you gotta let the people upgrade themselves yeah. you know because just how it is. Don't come and kind of like be their saviors because what has what history has shown us. You come through, but then you putting your you know a statue up and a <laughs> monument up of yeah. we came and saved the savages from all this bullshit. And it's like nah, let's change the, let's change the narrative of history instead of repeating it. Create something new and revolutionary and unprecedented, mm-hmm. and actually support something that's going on. So that means when we create this like great black place. Come patronize. Yeah. Once it's done, once it's all built up, come come patronize. Come get you, you know what I'm saying, some soul food from the black neighborhood instead of going to the gentrified neighborhood that used to be black yeah. and getting you like a soul mix. <laughs> you know, come to come to the hood, quote yeah. unquote, because it's it's actually developing. It actually is getting better because we need that. Yeah. Because you're making up majority of the world. So patronize those black places. Mm-hmm. That's the best way to support. Yeah. But. So where would you say the balance is between people coming into a community and legitimately trying to help and saying, mm-hmm. we've been successful at XYZ, let us help you do that, versus like what you were saying before is, uh, we've been successful doing it, you have to do it this way. There's obviously a fine line where people are probably willing to accept help, but again, they don't oh, want to sure. be told how to live their lives. For sure. So where where is that balance um. of help coming in? I would say uh, exposure to things that aren't as known. Yeah. So simply, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say uh, fully teaching, mm-hmm. 
but you can um let's say if you like came let's say if there's a, a system of like teaching a group of people who are interested in like financial literacy yeah. within the community okay and there's a guy who's a white gentleman who was financial planner for like 20 years or he's retired and he got all the, all the money and all the time in the world how does he want to give back and like actually help and build race relations in the community now so what he does is instead of because I feel like there would be a pushback if there's this white man coming to teach yeah. black people about how to deal with their money. Yeah, I feel that if you go to people who are part of the community, individuals who are part of the community, and actually people trust them and believe in those individuals in the community, mm-hmm. and you teach them honestly and genuinely these practices of you know budgeting and all these different things, I feel like that's it. One example of how a person can help. Yeah, indirectly but directly. Yeah, and um. And that just be it. Yeah. Like you don't need to have a big hoopla. It doesn't need to be a big ceremony just to <laughs> honor you. People who have used your methods or whatever don't have to praise you for them because that's all you need. You, you did your part. You did all you can do. That's that's really it. And also when it comes to uh, like your professor yeah. going and taking a job at a predominantly you know white institution and teaching people and telling them and I feel like that's the way you can do it from the other way around. Yeah, black people can stop thinking that or having these different assumptions that on white people and other people of other ethnicities mm-hmm. because just because you know they have something about you yeah. it's like i know y'all i know what you already think about me and i'm gonna have these i already think something about you too yeah let's kill all that let's kill all this stereotype bullshit actually engage in true exchange yeah. you know actually engage in true exchange and help and aid in any way we can that we see the problem here with a lot of black communities are from an economic standpoint and from just a, a community just just deprivation standpoint. Yeah. If we can all agree or all get to a common ground that there's some exterior force and not just internal force that's created this, yeah. nothing then it will be even more welcoming. Then that that relation can change. Okay. And then, you know, 10, 20 years down the line, white guy can come into the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah do some things because that's not the narrative anymore that's not the way most people think of white people yeah that's just simply it because white people in a black neighborhood they either look for drugs cops social workers trying to take the kids it's a lot of bad connotations you know so that's the fucked up part about it but and it's you just suppose that in a white neighborhood you got a black guy in the white neighborhood he's like oh what is he (laughs) he's either a rapper or somebody blah 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 or he's trying to rob us yeah spreading out the options and I feel like that's really how it gotta be like step slowly but surely helping indirectly in other ways you hear about like a great black restaurant a great a great black business that you wanna you know it sounds great they actually got a great deal and patronize Um, go about that patronize them but don't you know go into communities like willingly gentrifying the motherfuckers knowing that this community literally was a thriving community at some point, a community that could have been built up by the people. Yeah. I would say, if anything, if that's what you want, if you want to be an investor or you want to be whatever, whatever, find people, find find individuals who want to save these places, mm-hmm. save this school, save this, save that, contribute to that. Yeah. And don't ask for nothing else. I feel like those types of things will change perceptions and, and do the same thing the other way around. As, as African Americans, we gotta, you know, not be so hard, not be so, you know, push back on actually people getting together and people understanding each other. Yeah. And I feel like that's a real large group of us. People mm-hmm. who just 
ignorant to any other ethnicity and you got people who are extremely knowledgeable of just history and they base that off of the way they treat other ethnicities yeah so if you white but i'm fuck that i'm really i'm really on my books i'm really on my studies from what i know of you from what i know of your people blah blah, blah i believe this of you yeah you can't throw that on people because that's we're literally doing the same thing to us because mm-hmm. you can have a white guy who literally went through history looking up certain things Google a few things because you stay on a certain line, <laughs> it will definitely stay the way yeah. that it needs to be. Yeah, and you the, the opinion of black people will not change unless you type in a certain type yeah. of word, or it can be thrown that opinion can be thrown out because oh, this is just a militant conscious person who just cre- created their own opinion or their own theory of what life was and blah blah. And it's nah, yeah, people definitely are living a certain type of reality that everyone doesn't want to believe. So, kind of along those lines. What would you say to a white person who says that white privilege doesn't exist? Believe it or not, I have friends who think everyone's equal, everyone's starting that race at the at the starting line, everyone has the same equal chance in life. Um, I guess from your community, uh-huh. kind of what you see, what would you say to those people? Um, honestly, um, the thing about uh, white privilege, I feel like it's sad that, you know, people really don't see it. But that's just, you know, kind of like one of the last things I just said was uh, people don't want to believe the reality that people believe in. Yeah. With the, all the killings that are going on and all the things that are happening with the with the police. People don't want to believe that's the reality of someone else because that's that, not their reality. Yeah. People believe that there's only like a mono reality of America. Like, there's only one way to live here. And... I think a lot of that has to do with the results and the things they've seen. Yeah. White privilege is a result of the perpetuation of a certain type of existence. Yeah. So I feel like you have white people who truly believe that never have a right to their opinion, yeah. but they believe that based off the facts of what they've seen throughout life. They believe that because they have known, you know, white guys who literally started from nothing. Yeah. Make some of themselves. They've known, they've heard success stories about this person getting a, you know, a scholarship to here and there and making some of themselves. Mm-hmm. And then also they hear a few stories from black people yeah. who've done the same thing. So it's kind of like, if they can do it and they did it and they, everything's the same. I've never been stopped by the police all random <laughs> and I've never been asked. They've always been nice guys. I've never felt threatened by them and blah, blah, blah and yeah. this and that. But I was like... You got to think about it. In all these situations, have majorities have majorities officers been white? Have majorities officers even if these majorities officers been black? It's still a sense of white privilege and protection. Yeah, like you protect it. Yeah. So that's why everything is all good. Everything's calm. They're not going in with any type of biases because they don't have any for you. Yeah, conscious people usually don't. Conscious, most of the time, conscious people usually don't join the police. If they do, they probably don't stay within it if it's corrupt. Yeah, and that's how it is with most things. Conscious people are usually not the ones who get to the CEO positions of these large corporations because mm-hmm. a lot of black CEOs now yeah. of like major corporate corporations that everyone know of. But those are not always the most conscious people. They're not automatically thinking, "Oh, I need to build up the black community now." Yeah, because I made it to this height. I made. I've done something that's monumental. Most of those people are not conscious people. They're not immediately thinking about that. They're immediately thinking, oh, I did great. And if anything they can do to help, they'll go back and tell the story of how they did great and you can do the same. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Might give you a scholarship. 
Yeah. But that's still on you. Yeah. And that still can do something to an individual, but if we're talking about true community building, mm-hmm. you got to see it. Like, And I feel like the whole saying of ignorance is bliss, I think that's a real big part of why white privilege is a thing. Yeah. Because they're just ignorant to existence. Yeah. They're ignorant to someone else's existence. They don't want to know the realities that other people are facing. They don't. Yeah. And I think they're comfortable with that because... But I feel like if, they, if you just strip some of those things away, mm-hmm. then they'll realize something is different. But you see that, though, yeah. when it comes to a pushback with the pain of uh, <laughs> the pain of Black History Month. Yeah. When they see a minority getting into Harvard, but they couldn't. Mm-hmm. It's like, see, they, they get certain <laughs> privileges. See, they have this, they have that. And it's yeah. like, yeah. But you have people who can't even walk to a certain place without somebody thinking some of them. Yeah. You have people who can't ride around on a Friday night without being pulled over or suspected to be some yeah. be somewhere they don't supposed to be. Yeah. Like those very very simple liberties that you expect to have in a in a country, there's a large number of people who don't have them. Yeah. No matter where you come from, no matter your classes, whatever. So that's what I would say to them. If they still don't see it, they still don't want to consider the thought that there is a different existence mm-hmm. I would just say it's cool yeah. keep staying you know blind to whatever it is mm-hmm. that's fine you good yeah. because as because I feel like times are changing you have people like you you have children who are growing up seeing their first president being a black man instead of a white guy <laughs> and that's gonna give a different perception of the world to children that are now being born mm-hmm. so I feel like you can keep that ideal of white privilege but you now have intellectuals who are not only just black, but white people who are saying white privilege exists. Acknowledge your white privilege. This shit is not cool. Mm -hmm. Blah, 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 blah. And this is why the world is the way it is. So I feel like there's a change that's gonna come. There's a change that's happening as of now. So you can believe that. But by the time you have children, and your children have children, and you still believe that, (laughs) you're gonna be looking just like uh, some of our grandparents who still stuck in their ways yeah. and seeming real ignorant like yeah. you're just out of time yeah. you're just old yeah. and people are going to shame you for even though you're old and stuck in your ways people are going to still shame you for that reason just like they do a lot of grandparents and things like that now yeah. and now kind of along with the consciousness the mm-hmm. some of the black lives matter and then you have other people come in well all lives matter mm-hmm. what are your kind of thoughts on on that mantra it's like oh we can't worry about them because we need to be concerned about everybody and it's if you're concerned about black lives matter you can't be concerned about police and if you're concerned about police you automatically hate all african-american people um we gotta like america has probably the best track record of like just generalization practices and just like we're real real, because we're you know really big sports um type of uh, nation mm-hmm. I think it makes us uh, very you know you're either against us or uh, a force yeah. so that's really what it is and also they always try to keep this very PC environment about just American living mm-hmm. so all lives matters is the same thing as a statement as I don't see color yeah. <laughs> and the reason why both of those are fucked up all lives matters we speaking specifically to police brutality and police actually killing African Americans and other ethnicities but African Americans for for the majority of these situations throughout every state um, is you saying you should think about everyone else that's dying and this that and the third and it's like nah 
this is an issue. This is a problem. And this is another way that you're trying to avoid. I feel like there's either ignorance or avoidance. One or the other. You either got a white guy who lives in a white neighborhood somewhere in the South who doesn't even care about black folks and just have all these opinions. Then you have someone who might be a white person who lives in a very urban neighborhood, lives around black folks. They're living there because it's cheap. <laughs> and they seeing shit happen in their neighborhood, but they're avoiding it because they don't want to be involved. Yeah. I feel like that's a really big, that's what all of our lives matters is. They're avoiding it. Same thing when it comes to the statement of, I don't see any color. You not seeing color is actually a, a insult. So you saying that you don't see color, that you're colorblind, meaning that you're not acknowledging who I am, my identity. Yeah. I don't not see you and not see color. Mm-hmm. That's a part of you. Why wouldn't I take you for everything that you say that you are and you claim to be? Yeah. And that's essentially what it is. You can't, don't tell me you don't see, that's like saying I don't see you for whatever you are. Yeah. I see you as whatever else. It's like, no, I want you to see me as that because that's a part of me. Yeah. Yes, everyone should see everyone as individuals and equal and as people and as humans, but we have this layer called culture and ethnicity that people have misstrued, you know, screwed the fuck up and have all types of things for millennials. Yeah. But it's a part of the human existence. Yeah. It's part. Of, this happens when you got to living on a planet with different types of climate, and you're gonna have people that look different, different shades and shit. Yeah. But through just human will and difference of opinions you have people who create these large large opinions of people yeah. and I think uh, it's fucked up but I think it's the nature of the, it's the nature of America though to in, be inclusive and be all this instead of having a different thought a different um, level of thinking of something and the thing about it is like let's think about it let's really break this down when it comes to separation and segregation there are certain things that are segregated that are doing extremely well mm-hmm. Because they're around their quote-unquote people, I guess. Yeah. But also, you have those examples of multicultural situations where they're excelling like a motherfucker. Yeah. Because they don't deal with the same things. Yeah. So, I feel that there is more than one type of reality, one type of you know human experience people can live. Yeah. And if people get away from that, and get away from that ideal of it's either this or this, you're either first or last. Yeah. You're your second, you're last. Whatever it is. That's not the way the world is. Mm-hmm. There's, that's just not how it is. So I feel that we have to get past this. Oh, so you guys are saying this? Well, I read on the news that you're. <laughs> no, I don't believe it. All lives matter. Yeah. Cops should stop being shot. That's not right. I have an uncle that's a cop. Yeah. And it's like, nah, that's not what we're saying. They're saying literally there are people who are dying and nothing is happening. Yeah. And a large part of the world, the majority of the states are cool with it. Yeah. Or not saying nothing at all, or staying out of it, or seeing it as that's not their problem, whatever, whatever. And then you have the government who not doing anything either. Mm-hmm. Who are staying out of it, seeing it as the state's problem, whatever, whatever. But then now that there's officials that are being killed, that's why you have some, that's why you have a very, they have an outpour of saying that it's wrong. A lot of uh, European Americans, and then from African Americans, you got like, it's real, it's a real, I would say kind of like, you know, <laughs> maybe like 75% of the people probably like, oh, well, yeah. that's what happens. Yeah. You shouldn't have started. <laughs> Somebody just got mad. Yeah. Somebody turned up. Yeah. That's what a lot of people believe. But then you had that 25% who was like, oh, this is wrong and all types of things. And they're like just on the negatives. Like, this is just really fucked up. Yeah. Then you have a, that's a large amount of people who match the other group. 
They're like, that is so not right. This is not how you get down, blah, blah. And yeah, well, it was like, well, shit, that's what they get. Yeah. It's sad. Neither one of them are right. Yeah. But that's the world that we live in. Yeah. That extreme kind of polarization of views that we have. Now, taking a bit of a left turn here, mm-hmm. a question kind of about not just necessarily your particular opinions, but just on police in America. Mm-hmm whether you do honestly feel that they're there to protect us and work with us and kind of going along those same lines then of kind of the mass incarceration of African-American males in our society Mm -hmm. and then taking it one step further than even and like the privatization of Prisons. prisons in our society and kind of how those three topics kind of interlink and then through your experiences the views that you've kind of heard on um, from my own research, I've I've learned two things occurred from when slavery actually ended. Slavery actually ended the there was no um, state to state prison system. Mm-hmm. The prison system actually was created essentially damn near at the same time that slavery ended. Yeah. Also, you have a new force or a new establishment of uh, occupation, I call it, of public servants that were called uh, kind of, uh, uh, I guess, joy riders of slave catchers. Mm-hmm. And these slave catchers were people who, quote unquote, protected property and served the people who could pay for them. Yeah. For the longest, they were only for people who could actually pay for them, and then they essentially became a part of the government. These people essentially turned into the police. These prisons essentially turn into the prisons that we see today in mass incarceration. The thing about that that made it very fucked up and backed up by the government was there were laws, and more so by the governments from state, from a state, state and local level. There were laws that were put out that increased and brought and made a use out of those jails that were being built. Yeah. So you have slaves who are coming out with all these different types of skills, with all these different types of you know whatever. But also a lot of emotional and, and you know psychological damage. Yeah. You have a lot of people who don't know what the fuck they want to do. Mm-hmm. Everyone may not have the energy or the capability to go to a place where you know they can collect into a black town or whatever it may be. So they may have to stay where they are. It may be too old. It could be a lot of things. So what happens? You have a law where if you're a homeless African American or a Negro at this point, you'll go to jail. If you don't have a job you'll go to jail. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you're if you in the wrong place at the wrong time, you'll go to jail. And you have those very, very early, you know, prime, you know, just primitive-ass laws that started, started up those jails, started filling them up. Yeah. Now, you have chain gangs that essentially came out of that same system. Mm-hmm. So now you have people who went out, of, came out of slavery to essentially be brought right back into one. And if you look up exactly, you know, within the Emancipation Proclamation and the 13th Amendment and all those different things, you'll read that the only, only way slavery, slavery is only abolished from an exterior point, from when it comes to the civilians and society. Slavery is still a thing when it comes to prisons, though. Yeah. Hence why it's essentially slavery and you can just oppose you can say and have the argument, well, they get paid to do certain things they do and or whatever, whatever, whatever. The way the way the market and the way the world works, a penny, a few dollars here, might as well be nothing. Yeah. 
because we had this thing called cost of living. You having a few dollars a day doesn't mean you're able to actually live in existence of someone who lives in this certain city. Yeah. So essentially you're working for me for free. Yeah. And I give you literally a piece of something. Mm-hmm. And that's what I feel like with mass incarceration, it was just it was a way and I'm glad now that you know you have a lot of things and the, the power of the internet. The internet is getting stronger and stronger by the year. Yeah. And people are actually using that motherfucker. Google is a blessing. <laughs> and you have, you know, the the bringing back of, you know, Ronald Reagan. And one of his uh, main guys who put out documents saying, you know, we specifically targeted yeah. African-Americans and also the people who were, I feel like, uh, did they say the left or whatever the fuck it was, but essentially hippies. Yeah. So they targeted white hippies yeah. and African-Americans as in general, as people that are not cool, people are not great people. Yeah. Because what was happening, you have the hippies and being the large part of the protesters who were fighting against the Vietnam War. Yeah. And then you have African-Americans who they just wanted to fucking get rid of. Yeah. They were just tired of. There was a lot of civil unrest. There was still, you know, a lot of, you know, bad taste in my people's mouths after the civil rights movement and nothing really happened afterwards. Mm-hmm. And then also the killing of all these different individuals. So it's kind of like, how, how can I feel? Yeah. So the mass incarceration, then you have that, you know, brought back with uh you know with the whole war on drugs it's like everything like almost every major thing always had like a black face on it when it came to just you know a change yeah and that's i feel like that's what really you know makes mass incarceration and the privatization of all these different things really truly like the new slave yeah well like even when I was in school, I worked with a group called Voices Beyond Bars, mm-hmm. and what it was was recently released uh, inmates from prison. Mm-hmm. And what really kind of struck a chord with me is some of these almost kind of tactics that they, the government has to keep people in these prisons. You look at our parole system today, yep. like what you were almost talking about before in like the slave days. If you come out and you don't have a job within 30 days, exactly. you're going back in. If you don't have a place to live, you're going back in. Exactly. And, and well, even even in certain states, even if you don't pay your fees. Yeah. If you don't pay your fees, then you'll go back to jail as well. And it's kind of like, it's already hard. And then you already make it a thing that everyone has to know yeah. from every employee that I go to that I went to jail yeah. and what I went to jail for. Yeah. So now it's on the discretion of those, those people. Yeah to hire me, which most of them don't, especially if I've, you know, had a felony and all these different things. And I think what really needs to happen with that, from that standpoint, when it comes to mass incarceration, is an extreme reform of actually rehabilitating individuals. Mm -hmm. They kind of do it with, you know, the college programs they have and different technical programs they have, but they're still benefiting from those things. There is... It's like, yeah, we give you a little piece, but when you get out, you're still a person who just got out of jail. Yeah. So, yeah, you're going to have all these skills, but you still might have to end up dealing with labor, yeah. like dealing with, uh, dealing with labor unions, and dealing, dealing with different types of uh, situations. Shit is still going to be hard for you, yeah. and on top of that, you can't vote. Yeah. And what was crazy is that in our, you were talking about Google before, mm-hmm. in our society, everything is so reliant on technology Mm -hmm. and what was crazy is if you've been in jail for 10 years you don't know what a cell phone is you Mm -hmm. don't know what the internet is and if you have two weeks to figure out a place to live and everywhere that you go says go apply online and you don't know how to work a computer Mm -hmm. how are you ever going to find a place to live how are you ever going to find that job i think that's crazy i think it's definitely you know now i think maybe that was absolute 
probably like I would say like 15 years ago for sure. Mm-hmm. But I think now I definitely know it is. They may not know everything about it, yeah. um, but I think uh, now it's just a sense of just accessibility. Yeah. Now you have people who, who come from a place where you know they know people could probably get them everything they fucking need when they get out. Mm-hmm. But now these people have to now make a decision of how much. Now I gotta choose to get back on my feet the right way, yeah. which is the hardest way, yeah. or the easy way, which is the wrong way, which probably got me in here in the first place. Yeah. So it's like, and that's the fucked up part about it. It's like, I need all these things, need to do all these things, I need money to pay for this, I need to do all this, but yet as soon as I get out, you got somebody who's trying to bring me back into the world that I left yeah. for 20 years, and now what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Because I gotta live, I gotta, you know, I got family still who was probably holding me down for 20 years. Yeah. And I'm living there, and I don't want to live there for free. Yeah. And I can't find a job because nobody want to hire me. What am I gonna do? Yeah. But somebody told me they could, I could do a little one little job for them. They'll give me, give me that nice fat bag, and I'm straight. I'm back on. Yeah. And I at least get on my feet. That's the fucked up part. Of it. That's the cycle itself. Yeah. And I feel like if you really truly want to reform and really truly rehabilitate people in back into society, you allow them. You allow them to have a very easy transition. Yeah. Because they're not, they're, they're coming from extremely far behind. Yeah. They, they've been in t- institutionalized, which you can change that culture in itself, mm-hmm. make things a lot safer, and make things, you know, just a lot better for people. Like, actually, I'm not saying you got to, you know, hold people's hands, and there's a lot of fucked up people, bad people did fucked up things. Yeah. But I feel like it's fucked up if you got this person who, motherfucker did like a triple homicide next to a person who, you know. Smoked a little weed. My, yeah, who might have sold a little weed, yeah. and that's it. Yeah. Nine criminal offense, but now he been having to fight for his fucking life for ten years, yeah. and that shit is hardening him like a motherfucker. So when he comes out of here, he have like PTSD. He might have so many different psychological things wrong with him, and none of these people are getting counseling. Yeah. And they might still like move and shake as if they're still in prison. Yeah. And that's really really fucked up on somebody's just like identity and soul and just being. It's like I still feel like I'm locked up, yeah. regardless of me being here because I gotta check in, I gotta be in a certain time. Like even when I'm fresh out, I still gotta, I still someone still controlling my existence, yeah. and that's so fucked up. Yeah. But that's the life that we live. I've seen, I just seen a video. It was a, uh, I think it was in, was it Finland? It was some European country where essentially. It was like a fucking dorm room. Like, these dudes lived, like, that was every inmate. They lived in, like, a dorm room. They had, like, a dope-ass kitchen. They essentially, like, made them independent, made them, like, care for themselves. It was, like, you know, kind of, like, minimum security. And majority of these people, like, had programs to get into immediately after release to work and to do some certain things. And these were, like, not just some bullshit-ass jobs. It was, like, things like, oh, okay, great. I learned how to do this in jail. I learned how to do this. I learned how to do that. Here we go. Yeah. But that's why you have so a resurgence of, you know, black entrepreneurs. And I think that's a really big part of from, you know, speaking to all my all the black folks who listen to this right now. We gotta aid our brothers and sisters who literally have been down for however long. Like bring them back in with open arms, create programs for them so they can get they get their money together, get back on their feet, learn all these different trades, learn Word and Excel, they want a certain type of job, learn all these things they need to learn to catch them back up. And that way, they can do what they got to do. They can take care of the families that they've missed out on, actually have an existence that is worthwhile. That's what I feel like should happen. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. So, 
I think we've said so much, <laughs> and it's been great. And I'm I honestly, I feel like the conversation is great. I like the vibe and the questions you bring, and just the things that you want to know. And I feel like we've only scratched the surface of this, so I'm gonna definitely bring you back for sure. I'd love to come back. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I hope y'all enjoyed everything that you know we uh, discussed on this podcast today. Uh, it was a good one. It was good. Yeah. I'm so glad that we made the time to do this for real, for real. And I feel like we definitely answered a lot of questions for a lot of different things in a lot of different ways. And uh, we need these conversations. Everyone needs to understand that these conversations have to keep happening, have to keep uh, getting deeper and also turning into action. It's cool to have everybody around talking to Kumbaya, but if don't nobody ever get the fuck up and do anything about it, this shit is really just pointless. It's just very nice titillating conversation at that point that may make people uncomfortable or make make people understand which is all good but all in all thank you all for listening I feel like I, I hope you all took something away from these conversations and can start your own with some people who aren't from the same type of uh, backgrounds as you and I mean that even if they are literally black people who come from a different type of living and, and things when you have these conversations talk about each other and talk about talk about your yourselves to each other. And trust me, we'll come a little bit close and we'll get to this goal of actually living a great, you know, mixed multicultural human experience that quote unquote is perceived from the uh, major major society. Uh, we can actually live that I actually live in harmony and peacefully. So if you don't know now you know you can listen to this on the uh, tune in radio app as well as I'm on the directory podcast in color it's also SoundCloud and iTunes so download that subscribe on that um, things coming up soon as you know about to get on this camera get on this young vlogging I want to you know for certain conversations and certain special things I want to have a camera in the room to really so everyone can really capture the conversation and get it even more so gonna bring some visuals to you that's awesome that's on the that's in the works. I'm just getting you hype about that. All right. Thank y'all for joining me. This is Simply King. Love y'all. See y'all next week. Black and powerful, yes I am. Black and powerful, yes I am. Black and white world like Jeffersons. Black and white world, the rifleman. Black and white world, batting hat. Black and white world, Pat Masterson. Black and white world, black and white world. Black and powerful, yes I am. Hello world, I know I love me. I hope you hear me before you judge me. Hope you know me before you trust me. And see my beauties before my uglies. I'm black and proud, just like Penny. Love is plenty and doubt is empty. Alexander, who never played me. Always